a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. So welcome to the Digital Doers podcast, and we are part of the Oil & Gas Global Network's community of podcasts, and the Oil & Gas Global Network has the largest community of podcasts for the oil and gas industry. So certainly appreciate all of you that uh, hit all of the right buttons on whatever device you're on, so you could join us today and listen to um, a conversation that I'm going to admit up front. Um, I'm not, it's been a long time ago since I dealt with this topic. Um, and so a lot of today will be um, our guest uh, trying to um, educate me a little bit. And I think it will be educational and interesting to you as well. Not only is the topic uh, very interesting, but she has a beautiful accent. So I think it, that always makes it easy to listen to. Um, but before we get started and, and uh, have that conversation, I want to say thanks to a couple of folks. Of course, thank you to those of you that are listening. Um, also need to say thank you to HPE. That's our sponsor. They make it possible for us to have these conversations. And, you know, HPE has a, a, a whole group, uh, team of dedicated and experienced professionals that are focused on oil and gas solutions. So if you get a chance, have a conversation with those folks, check out their website at hpe.com. In particular, you might want to take a look at their relatively new offering, um, their GreenLake platform, um, and they call it their Edge to Cloud platform, and it's all about bringing those cloud services to you um, at your edges, co-locations, um, wherever your data is stored. Um, and, you know, the folks at HPE, they have over uh, the widest portfolio of on-premise cloud services and over 12 years of consumption-based um, experience. So, so check out HPE. And so with that, oh, and by the way, before uh, I... I jump right in also and get into our conversation. In the show notes today, there will be a couple of links, and I'd really appreciate it if you would, uh, one of the links is going to take you to a one-question survey. We're trying to gather a little data here, so if you would uh, click on that link in the show notes and go to that one-question survey, it should take you about 10 seconds. And also then there's going to be a place for you to um, go leave us a review. I'd like to hear from folks and hear what they're enjoying, and maybe there's other topics you'd like to hear about. Um, so I would appreciate that. Both of those links are in the show notes. And so with that, we're going to now jump in and, and talk, to, talk to Sarah Whiteford. Hi, Joanne. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. And Sarah is, um, you'll, you'll get to appreciate that accent, but Sarah is her um, educational background is she has a degree in petroleum engineering from the University of New South Wales. Uh, and so where is that located exactly, Sarah? That's in Australia. In Australia. In Sydney. In Sydney, Australia. Okay. 
Um, so now we understand the accent. <laughs> um, and she has been in uh, out of university for about um, 15-ish, 15-plus-ish 15 yep. years. Um, and she's today she is the di- director for operations and projects for One Step Power. Um, and she's been there about five-ish years, maybe approaching six quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think, Sarah, were you involved? So this is a relatively new company. So did you have any involvement in this company coming to be? Yeah, Joanne. Um, I was part of the team that founded One Step back in 2016. Um, Mark Craig, who's the president here at One Step, and I and a couple of other people were all involved in some projects in South Korea. And we identified a whole series of different things that could be done better in the oil and gas industry. Um, And there were a few different offshoots that came from that. But the one that really struck home for me was the power systems. Um, You know, as a petroleum engineer, I don't speak electricity. But what I found was that I was spending, you know, vast swathes of my day every day worried about what the power system on board the vessels we were delivering was going to do. So when Mark said to me, hey, I've got a better way to validate, I've got a better way to test those ships, I said, well, if you can do that, I'm in. So we founded back in 2016. Okay. And so you and Mark worked together. Yes. And you worked on, uh, like, oil and gas vessels for oil and gas offshore kind of production or operations or drilling, I guess, even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. there were four drill ships and a semi-submersible, and we delivered them out of Korea over the course of about four years. Okay. And so, um, obviously, those, um, oftentimes, those vessels, those big, big pieces of iron and steel (laughs) um, are literal like little islands out there. They they aren't connected. They have to be completely self-sufficient. And so those electrical systems are, are pretty important, not only for meeting their, um, their intention, but also for just supporting the folks that happen to be living on those. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joanne. We like to think of them as uh, miniature cities. You know, they're, they have a hotel, they have a catering department, they have a laundry, they have, you know, an entire industrial package, exactly like you would see, plus then they have the marine systems. So they are somewhat like a floating city. And, you know, at the at the heart of all good cities these days is a robust power system. Um, so, you know, when we look at ships, the first thing we want to do is make sure they stay floating and that they stay upright. But beyond that, the next thing we're going to be worried about is keeping the lights on. Okay, so great, great, great. Um, and so, so tell me a little bit, Sarah, so how did you, you know, you're a petroleum engineer, I'm a petroleum engineer, right? I didn't get anywhere close to electricity. So how did your pathway take you from Sydney to Korea? Yeah, that's it. That's a fun one as well. So I started out in Sydney, finished up my degree, uh, moved to Perth, um, started downhole, uh, working in the completions side of the business was working with a completions company for about 12 months and found that the most fun that I was having was actually the connection to the subsea system, so which incidentally was an electrical connection. 
so took that electrical kind of fascination, went into subsea engineering more, got into the subsea construction departments, uh, worked subsea construction for a couple of years, salvage, onshore construction, civil construction. Basically, if it had construction in it, I went and found a job in it. Uh, then moved from there over into Korea where we were building ships. So I kind of moved to Korea. My role was to be delivering the ships. Um, so I was the interface between the vessel owners or the people that were going to take delivery of the ship and then their charterers. So my role was really around answering the question of whether the charterer was going to get what they were paying for. Okay. So does that mean you worked for the charterer? No, I was I was uh, representing the vessel owner okay. in delivering to the charterer's the, expectations. The, okay, okay. So there were some specs, if you will, mm -hmm. that the charterer needed. And so the uh, constructor, I guess, was uh, trying to meet that that requirement. I see. Yeah, so you would often find that um, the, con the the vessel builder wasn't necessarily aligned with the vessel owner who isn't always aligned with the vessel charterer. Imagine that. Mm. <laughs> it's like contracts were written by people. Um, so, so what I was there to do was kind of try and manage the expectations and realign the requirements between the charterer, the vessel owner, and the ship uh, builder. Yeah. Well, and there are... Yeah, I'm thinking of myself here. There are varying degrees of expertise and understanding about what's technically feasible, I got to believe, what's financially advisable or whatever, uh, when you're talking about those three different kind of groups of people. Yeah, there always is. And it's kind of fun as well because um, it's not always money. Sometimes it's time and sometimes it's uh, technical capabilities, you know, and we always like to say, oh, well, anything's solvable with more money and time. But sometimes it was more around, well, solve the technical and the money and time will take care of themselves. Okay. So there were some really interesting, interesting bits and pieces there. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, um, so now let's, so think, tell me a little bit. Back in 2019, One Step Power received the Innovation of the Year Award from the Offshore Support Journal. So what is so innovative? You won this, I think, for something called your Generator Voltage Response Tester. So tell us, what's so innovative about that? Uh, that was the last time Mark, as an engineer, was allowed to name a product. Um, so the Generator Voltage Response Tester, or GVRT, was the first piece of technology that we delivered here at OneStep. And the, the piece, it came back to our roots in the shipyards. It was around how can we deliver safer solutions that prove, uh, prove what the client was looking for. Our clients at the time were looking for a way to demonstrate that they had the capability to survive a short circuit on the main power system on board the ships without performing a short circuit. So we presented them with the first ever possibility of producing that waveform without actually having to perform a short circuit. Um, and So let me ask a question then, mm -hmm. if I'm thinking about this. It sounds to me a little bit like non-destructive testing 
that you might do like on pipes or something? Yes, it is non-destructive. It's kind of, it, it, it's very similar to doing a, a, a pipe NDT in that we uh, inject a signal or inject sort of a fault scenario and see how the system reacts. Slightly different to an NDT in that um, you're really only looking for the waveform to come back to you um, and confirm that you've got the thickness, whereas we tend to be looking for um, slightly more complex characteristics. Yeah. I say that because I don't know NDT well enough. I'm yeah. sure I've just offended half the audience. <laughs> no. Um, no, I think you're but, probably right. It's but the, uh, the basic kind of concept is that we're going to be looking for a waveform to be produced which is going to replicate how your system would see complex power interruptions. Okay, okay, all right. And so... Most vessels generate their own power? That's a question. Uh, let's say like pre-five years ago, all vessels generated their own power. Okay. Um, in the last five years, we've seen some really cool things around hybridization and electrification. So now um, a lot of ferries will hook up to shore power and they will be able to charge while they're alongside and then they will run off batteries while they're really doing their route. So we see that. Wow. The Maiden of the Mist up in Niagara Falls is one really cool example of that here in the United States. So that's kind of um, the electric or, or hybrid. Yeah, so that one's a straight-up electrification. Electrific um, okay, hybridization is when what we talk about when we use batteries to supplement diesel generators or yeah. batteries to, uh, you know, uh, uh, may not be batteries, but some sort of uh, storage system to uh, to supplement a fuel system. Okay. So Excellent. Uh, typical hybrid system in the Gulf of Mexico would be a diesel electric generator with batteries on board. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And so, um, so tell me a little bit, since I'm not electrical um, savvy at all. So most of your clients are um, part of this kind of this initial launching of these vessels and the testing uh, to ensure that they are, you know, the, the what did you say, the, uh, the person that's going to use it is actually getting what they think they're getting. Is it kind of all around initial or are there also things that, that you guys, the services and things that you provide that are part of like ongoing maintenance of some kind or compliance testing that's required? Yeah, Joanne, there's a little bit of compliance testing. Uh, primarily what we found, and it wasn't where we thought we would spend our time, but the market since 2014 has been a little bit less than, you know, Before ideal. that, yeah. Um, but we thought that most of our work was going to come from shipyards. We thought that most of our work was going to be that first initial sea trials, acceptance testing. Uh, what we found, you know, because no plan ever, you know, <laughs> uh, works quite the way you thought it would. What we found was that we spend most of our time helping our clients get on charter. So what we actually do these days is we'll take ships that might be uh, two years old, five years old, 10, 15 years old, and we will actually help our clients demonstrate to their charterers that their ship is safe and meets the requirements that they have been set. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's actually funny because, you know, we really thought that it was kind of going to be this one and done or maybe you'd come back yeah. and see us every five years. 
But what we're finding at the moment is that people uh, come back and, you know, they'll need something different done or they'll need whatever their latest charter is requiring. They come to us and say, hey, we're going to go into contract for this person. What do we need to do for them? And so we'll help them to kind of, and I'm kind of calling it like chartering as a, charter acceptance as a service, right? Yeah. Whereas we'll just try and help people to read and understand what their charter is looking for. Um, and we have experience with that after, you know, years of doing that and then helping them find the way to uh, answer the question that the charter is actually asking. Wow. Well, that uh, I'm like you. I, that's And that was the way I obviously framed the question was thinking that it was around this um, this kind of this this initial sea trials and acceptance, um, but given the fact that just like me, most people, you know, the electrical piece of this is perhaps the least that they understand, and so if I'm a charterer and I'm going to need to pay for something. Having someone who can work as that liaison, perhaps, and uh, and the go-between that help gives me confidence um, through the uh, person that's got the vessel, you know, being able to demonstrate and demonstrate in a way that I can understand. That seems hugely valuable. Yeah, we like to think so. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that's. That's a, I, a great way. I think the, the key thing that we brought to the discussion was having data centricity. So really, really wanting to be around um, not just saying that something happened or saying that something was as expected or that, you know, we had witnessed something on board, but actually being able to provide a measurable result, actually being able to provide a graph or produce, uh, you know, evidence that people could, you know, look, could at, see. look back yeah. on, yeah. you know, either, you know, two or five years from t from now if they needed it in a court of law or if they needed it as, you know, um, they were going to a new charterer or they were doing something different again, that they would be able to look back on the data that they had and know um, that they had sort of a baseline there that was evidence-based and that they could use again and again. Okay, excellent. That's a great way of thinking about it. So this data centricity... Um, that is in the form of like a like a digital solution that you guys have that provides reports or something to folks? Yeah, we have uh, quite a bit in the digital space from that perspective. We do um, automated reporting, we do, um, which allows us to kind of give, I, I would almost call it like the chain of evidence between when the test was done and when the report was issued so that people know that their data has been, um, you know, maintained throughout that process and that no one's right. interrupted it. Right. Um, so that, you know, that chain of custody. And then I think the other piece of data centricity has been around, um, you know, sampling the data and getting getting access to measurements and getting access to um, the quality of data that we needed in order to then be able to produce high quality information for our clients. So we typically take 4,000 samples a second and then we'll take that and turn it into graphs. And so you'll have, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 samples per trace across up to 10 traces on one graph. So you can see exactly what was happening 
in multiple locations with voltage and current and know exactly what was happening on board that ship in that, you know, in that region when we were doing a test. Okay. Wow. So that sounds like a lot of data. A lot of data. A lot of data. So, um, so tell me just kind of in a, at a high broad level, name some of the floating cities, the, the vessels you do. Um, so yeah, tell me, tell us some of the ships, the vessels that you do. Uh, the biggest ones, the most famous ones, are obviously your semi-submersibles and your drill ships. Uh, we are working at the moment with a few different operators in the wind sector um, on some, I mean, a lot of it's under, <laughs> not allowed to talk about it, but um, on a range of different ships in that space, uh, both support uh, service operations for the surface for wind. Okay. Servicing the wind, wind the wind, wind mills or whatever. Yeah, okay. Offshore wind turbines. Okay. So um, we're seeing uh, quite a bit of work coming down the path in the next couple of years in the wind sector, both um, the wind turbine installation vessels, so WTIVs and SOVs, which is the service and operations vessels, I okay. believe. Someone okay. will correct me. Um, and then we're also seeing... Uh, a little bit of work on some of the smaller vessels, crew transfer vessels, and uh, electrification of and hybridization of smaller vessels, like ferries and tugs. And then we're also seeing quite a bit happening in the platform support vessel and offshore support vessels. Okay, wow. Wow. And shuttle tankers. And so what's a shuttle tanker? That is a great question. We had to Google it. Uh, a shuttle tanker is the ship that moves between an FPSO or a, um, you know, a floating production unit. Storage unit, yeah. And so whether it be a, a FPSO like we would traditionally see it or it could be some sort of other vessel. But basically they are the vessel that transfers your out, your product okay. from that vessel back to shore. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's not something we see a lot in... Um, in the Gulf of Mexico or down in Australia, but we see it quite a bit in Brazil and some places in Europe. And so tell me, where where in the world does One Step Power work? <laughs> we have had a year of it this year. So I think this year we managed to hit all six continents except Antarctica. Wow. Um, Is there a lot of business in Antarctica? <laughs> There's no business in Antarctica <laughs> okay. yet. Okay. Um, there is, uh, they do use dynamically positioned ships as research vessels, though. So okay. the new Australian vessel, uh, which is the SS Nunia, she is uh, dynamically positioned, um, and we could test her. Shout out to the CSIRO. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so quite a few of the new ships down in, the, um, in Antarctica uh, would fall under our remit, but uh, obviously it's trying to find a business case and their charters aren't too stressed about it. Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah, so that's all six continents. So, yeah, we hit every every continent except Antarctica this year. Just in 2022? Just in 2022. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, I think I have to count December of last year as okay. well. Okay, we all right. Hit all of them. Yeah, but, we're, we're close enough. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, yeah, we've had we've had guys uh, and gals going to every continent this in the last twelve to eighteen yeah. months. Yeah, and so you provide One Step Power provides products and services. Yeah, yeah. So we tend to operate as a rental service model. Um, we find that 
90% of the work is in the engineering before we go. So um, we tend to try and keep that um, here in-house. Uh, we don't like the risk of sending equipment out there without necessarily having someone that understands the risks. Yeah, so you're very hands-on. Right. So as a result of that, we tend to keep it. It makes it difficult to scale. But having said that, yeah. um, you know, wanting to keep that level of security on the deliverable and making sure that we're not risking equipment, um, because you know, if we blow up, if we blow up our generator or we blow up a control cabinet, you know, everyone's having a bad day. Yeah. So <laughs> the goal for us is to make sure that we're deploying equipment that's safe, but then we know that our people that are deploying it are safe in their deployment as well. Okay. So okay. Um, and. You know, to that point as well, I don't want someone hurting themselves with a piece of equipment because they decided they were going to install it in the wrong spot or you know, without a right. without a lockout. So your engineers take the equipment that you've put together, assembled. They actually take that and they go to one of the six continents. Yep. And actually, then uh, do the testing themselves. It's not like someone. A third party comes in and grabs your equipment and goes out to do that. No, very mm -hmm. rarely would we allow a third okay. party. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So, so excellent. excellent. They're getting lots of frequent flyer miles. At the yes, moment. they're getting lots of frequent <laughs> flyer miles. Um, so how was COVID? Because if you had to be traveling and... COVID was interesting. We, we were very, very blessed. Um, the first six months of COVID at the time we'd only been open as a business so you know our our first testing program ever was in December of 2018 oh wow so when I say that we had only been open for for business for 18 months yes okay the 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 business has been around for a long time but right. we had really only had boots on the ground for about 15 months when COVID shut us down okay um and we were very, very lucky in that at the start of COVID, we had enough on the order books here in the US to keep us going. We did lose our very first international project was slated to happen in March of 2020. Uh, we lost that project, it didn't go through. Um, and then kind of, you know, things opened back up really very quickly for the oil and gas industry here in Texas. Uh, so we didn't have a huge amount of downtime here in the US. Where we got, where it got a little bit more challenging was towards the end of 2020 and into 2021. We had a project come up uh, down in Australia. We'd never worked in Australia at the time, but we had a project come up down there and uh, our incredibly, incredibly generous clients down there said to us, well, you know, we need to get this project done. We need to get on charter. Um, what do we need to do to make it happen? And we said, well, okay, well, all your gear is in the US. All the people are in the US. We can't get people into Australia. You know, the timeframes at the time to get someone into Australia would have been on the most expedited option available. It still would have been nearly four weeks. Um, it just wasn't viable to do that. Um, so we remotely trained one of their technicians and we remotely trained a specialist that we had worked with previously. 
and who was living in, in Australia at the time. And so between their technician and our specialist, they both went out to the ship and they delivered the project uh, wow. on the time frame. And that was kind of the first time that we'd really kind of been hit in the face with what COVID was going to bring to us. Mm -hmm. um, it was technically an incredibly challenging project technically. I don't think anyone at one step slept for about four weeks um, because, you know, we were up at night trying to support right. Australia. Yes. You know, yes. it was just, it was crazy. Uh, but on the back of that project, we actually ended up winning a whole heap of other projects globally um, that caused us to have to really just get in the groove with COVID. Um, and but a lot of it was kind of remotely training folks that were in country or? What we ended up doing for COVID, and, and we've rolled it back since, so I don't really want to talk going about forward. It yeah, okay. too much because I don't want anyone to get an idea that they'll get this <laughs> office in the future. But what we ended up doing was we were remotely training ETOs, so okay. the technicians on board the ships, and then we would send one of our people. Okay. And what that allowed us to do was kind of really reduce costs but we still had to cover quarantine. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we had gotcha. people in quarantine. I, and I gave out little awards at the end of 2021, actually, for all of our people that, you know, had spent this much time in quarantine, <laughs> quarantine. or this much time over oh. here, you know. Oh. Wow. Um, so it was, it was really, really unpleasant mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, very, very difficult for the guys and, you know, people to work in that environment. I say guys because, unfortunately, all of our technicians at the time were men. Um, but we, we did have everyone sat in quarantine, you know, at one stage we had four people in quarantine all at the same time on, you know, and it's, it's a hugely expensive exercise and it's also incredibly draining, you know, it's right. apart from getting your fix of Avengers, uh, it's very difficult to get anything done during that time. Mm -hmm mentally you're not able to you know I think almost every person that's gone into quarantine for us has said oh no it's okay I'll still do my reports and I'll still do work and I'll still do this and the other and you call them two or three days into quarantine and they're like I can't do anything I'm staring at the walls yeah I'm going Just crazy tough. yeah um and that was so I think managing expectations for that was really was hard tough. yeah um but then yeah things are back to normal yeah well great but it sounds like you guys were kind of creative and innovative around how to how to manage through that, which a lot of companies, right, were in the yeah. that that space of having to yeah. do that. Digital Excellent. training, um, trying to make it hard enough that you knew that they understood what you right. were trying to achieve, but not so hard that they just wrote it off. That they didn't have any confidence that they could do it. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of that sort of challenge. And then the uh, language barriers, so trying hmm. to make sure that you were accounting for uh, English as a second language. Um yeah, yeah, no, it was it was it's a tough. real challenge, yeah. but I, I thoroughly enjoyed that side of it, you know, like give me give us a problem, we'll find a solution yeah. for it. Well, excellent. So um I'm just curious, since you've been on six continents, um is there a particular situation, a particular client, even if you don't use someone's name, that kind of sticks out as being particularly challenging or unique in some way? Well, I think that project, particularly that one down in Australia, uh, we were so, so blessed to have just an amazing client relationship that came out of nowhere. Um, they they really took a chance on us during COVID. Um, and they, they kind of gave us the space to be able to run and find the solutions for them. So they came to us with a very, very defined problem. It wasn't something that we'd ever done before. 
Um, and we were able to say to them, okay, you know, and they said, look, we need this in six weeks. We've got a real dead, you know, deadline. We can't have this running out forever. Um, we've been at it for nine months. We can't come up with a solution. How are we going to get it done? And we said, well, look, you know, we think we can do it. And here's how we would go about doing it. Do you want us to, do you want us to come on that journey with you? And so it was six weeks of, uh, assembling, testing, validating our solution, validating that it would work in the field. So we had to build their ship, like their shipboard componentry. We had to build that in That's our test bay. That's kind of a twin, bay. and now there's a ship yeah, twin. Yeah. yeah, so we had to build the build the cabinetry and the twin over here in the U.S. Then we had to force test it and make sure that everything was going to work, and then if it didn't work, it was going to fail safely and that it wasn't going to blow gotcha. something up. Then we had to... Uh, do all of the risk assessments, all of the documentation, all of the qualification paperwork, the you know the design specifications, get all of that going, and at the same time, then be able to deliver the equipment to Australia during the pandemic when everything was shut down. Uh, it took ten days. So out of our six-week period, ten days of that was just in transportation, wow. plus training the crew, plus you know uh, then providing the client and then their charterer with the assurance that this was all going to work. You know, yeah, right. so it was an incredibly complex protocol and an incredibly complex undertaking. And as I said, I don't think anyone slept for weeks. Mm -hmm. But what it delivered was this solution that got the ship on contract and. You know, being able to walk away from that with our clients. And now, you know, I was just down there visiting with them last week. And, uh, you know, we don't work with them regularly, but I know that if I ever needed, you know, to be able to do something down in Australia and I, you know, I needed to be able to put some gear in someone's house or, you know, like I needed just some space to do something or I needed, you know, a reference or I needed anything, those guys would just bend over backwards to help us yeah. there. Um, just super supportive of us and, you know, it's been a real fun journey to be on that sort of style of project with people. Yeah. So this sounds like um, one of the big drivers for you guys at One Step Power is around create, creating these successes for your clients. They're wanting to get something on charter and you feel a great deal of pride in helping them get that success. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. We we have a story. We have a saying at One Step, and and we shamelessly stole this from Mustang Engineering. <laughs> but the saying is, "Make the customer look like a hero." So we want every interaction that our client has with us, we want them to look like the hero to their internal stakeholders and their clients. Uh, we want them to look great with dashboards and reports that tell them exactly what they want, when they need it, that they can forward to their boss. We want them to look like the hero in every interaction that they have with their, you know, with their bosses and their teams and then their clients. Yeah. And that's, that's for us, that's the biggest thing is just make them look really good. Yeah. It's a great, I love that. That's a, that's yeah, a great that's, saying. Stole that from Mustang Engineering. Sure. Well, at least you're honest about it <laughs> that you stole well, it. Well, I have so much respect for Bill Higgs. There's no way I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> shout out to him. Okay. Um, and so I just want to real quickly before we wrap up here, I do want to ask a question though. And maybe it's just my lack of understanding, but as you were describing the different kinds of vessels and mm -hmm. uh, floating pieces of iron and steel, you didn't, you, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of offshore wind, but I didn't hear you say anything about like LNG vessels. Is that something, is there some reason or is it just that you haven't gotten there yet to that part of the business? Yeah, it, uh, there is a reason. Um, so LNG 
vassals are typically turbine operated, so they have oh, a you. slightly different power generation system. Got it. So it is. It there's is actually very, a reason why there that is was... a valid question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say that we don't think we could add value in that space, yeah. but so far there hasn't been any kind Got of. It on charter requirement that someone's needed. Yeah, so. got it, got it. Okay, well, that helps me because I was, as I was thinking about that. So, um, you know, I wrote, thank you so much, Sarah. This uh, was really interesting for me. Joanne, I love doing this, so yeah. thank you. Yeah, it was great. And and I love your, your you, you guys shamelessly stealing from people that you admire and, and trying to create success for your clients. I mean, I think that's kind of what it's about. Or that, that certainly uh, is a great... Uh, uh, way of thinking about uh, uh, your clients so you can stay in business a long time, <laughs> I think. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so thank you again, Sarah, for join, joining us today here on the Digital Doers podcast. Again, part of the OGGN uh, community of podcasts. And thank you again to HPE, our sponsor. And please take a look in the show notes and go give us a review and uh, take that one question survey. Um, and until next time, um, uh, go out and, um, and uh, ha- have a great, great day. So long. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.